The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. The story of Abram, who becomes Abraham, his faith just kind of goes up and down and up and down and up and down. And he builds an altar in Genesis 12, and he builds a few more. And then there's an altar in Genesis 22 that's the last altar that he will build. But in in Genesis 12, the first half of the chapter, it seems as he steps out, leaving everything he knows, like, like this is going to be a guy of great faith. But then the second Second half of Genesis 12, he, he goes into Egypt and he tells his wife, hey, tell this king that you're my sister, not my wife, so that he won't kill me. When God has already told him, you're, you're going to be the father of many nations, he just, he doesn't believe. And then, then his faith rises again, it seems, in Genesis 13, when, when he's got all this livestock and his nephew Lot has livestock and their herdsmen are fighting and, and Abram has every opportunity at that point just to tell Lot to leave. And he says, I'll tell you what, you pick the land you want. Whatever land seems best to you, you take, and I'll take the other part of the land. And, and so he's, it seems like he's doing well there. And then in, in chapter 15, he's questioning God. And he, he goes, I'm not, I'm not going to have an heir. My servant's going to be the heir of my house. I'll never have children. And God says, no, your children are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And and you actually will have a biological child. So Abraham believes, but he wants to know what's going to happen. And so then God tells him, and in the very next chapter, God says to his wife Sarah, hey, or Sarah says to him, hey, why don't you, why don't you get together with my servant and y'all have a child, and that can be our heir. They just struggle to believe God, and God says, no, that's not what's going to happen. And then God gives them this child of promise, Isaac's coming. Right before that, though, they again go to a king, and Abraham says again, tell him you're my sister, not my wife. That worked out so well in Egypt. And there are all these moments where you would think, you're just going, Abraham, what are you doing? Like, why don't you believe? And then you get to Genesis chapter 22, and what God tells Abram to do is he tests him, and and Abram goes to obey, and and you kind of go, Abraham, what are, you, what are you doing? You can't take your child. Well, I, I gotta tell you, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna ruin the story. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you the end. Um, nobody likes the end of the story to be known, especially in movies. And some, sometimes it, in, our, in our office, I know it would shock you with all the personalities on our staff, sometimes people joke with one another. We just mess with one another. Just a hint, you don't wanna mess with Casey Burke, Right? He seems like a cute and innocent little guy, but you don't practical joke with Casey, right? I mean, you can, but storm's coming if you do. You just don't. But one thing that I did, Star Wars Episode Seven came out in 2015. Came out, came out four years ago. Now, if you hear that and you're a Star Wars fan, you might like this story. If you're ambivalent to Star Wars, you'll understand because it's about movies. If you're one of those people who thinks Star Wars is Buddhism and I'm evil for watching it, you do not want to email me, okay? Right? <laughs> but here's what I did. We're, we're just kind of joking around. It was one of those times where we're joking a lot. And in Genesis, or in uh, 2015, the movie comes out. I've seen it. Some folks on staff are saying, hey, I haven't seen it. Don't ruin the ending. And so I just text in our little text thread, hey, hope you guys enjoy the movie Han Solo dies. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, if you haven't seen it, sorry to spoil the ending. It's five years old, right? Four years old. 
And so nobody, really, the guys who hadn't seen the movie didn't think that was very funny. I, I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to spoil the ending for you. Shocker here. Abraham's not going to sacrifice his son. We're going to read about it. But Abraham's not going to sacrifice his son. There's this test, and it looks like he might, but he's not, he's not. And if you're new to Christianity and you're here, please hear me. We are not for child sacrifice. We're, we're not for it. But actually, one of the things that distinguishes Genesis chapter 22 from some ancient stories is the, the fact that Abraham's not going to sacrifice his son. See, we're, we're going to read it, but it would have been fairly common. In fact, I read an article, a journal article this week about child sacrifice in ancient cultures almost on every continent, but one of the places where child sacrifice occurred was in the land of Ur where Abram's family was from. And, and it, this week, just as an, an aside, but an aside that really matters, I think as Sanctity of Life Day is this Wednesday, see, we hear it and we go, who in the world would sacrifice their child? But see, pagans that worship false gods, what they would do is they would sacrifice their children so that the crops would grow well and so rain would fall, so their life could flourish, so their life could be easy. And I, I watched a video this week I thought was a site that essentially said Planned Parenthood, the organization, it's just essentially ancient paganism. What it says is sacrifice your children so that life can be easy, so that you can flourish, so that you'll be okay. And here's what I, I want you to hear. We've got a God that doesn't want you to sacrifice your children, Amen. that he will provide. And I also want you to hear that if you've walked through abortion, the really good news is that he provides forgiveness. And there's nobody beyond his reach. If there was, I would certainly be. Because my sin is great. God will provide. And that's what we're going to find out today. I'm sorry for ruining the ending. Let's read the first eight verses of Genesis chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham. He said to Abraham, Abraham, and, and he said, here, here am I. And he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now important to this story is Mount Moriah, Moriah, it's center Jerusalem. This is where the Temple Mount would be, where sacrifice is going to take place over and over and over. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he, he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took it in his hand. He took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? 
Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. God, we thank you for this truth in this text that you are the God who provides the lamb. We thank you for the good news that we read in Abraham's story and how it tells forward the good news of our Christian story that you are the God who provides. We're grateful, Lord, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God tells Abraham he's going to test him. This is the test, and he's going to test Abraham, and he says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. It says, your son, your only son, Isaac, it says that again in verse 16, you have not withheld your son, your only son, which is a peculiar thing because Isaac is not Abraham's only son. So why in the world would would Genesis say this? Why would it be worded this way? And commentators discuss this back and forth, but by and large come to this conclusion, Ishmael has left. He's gone, he and Hagar are gone, and Abraham has no idea where they are. You can imagine thousands of years ago, they didn't invent life 360 until like 1000 BC, right? He has no idea where they are. He'll never see them again. So they're as good as dead. For all intents and purposes, Isaac is his only son, and Isaac is the son of promise. He's the son through whom God has said Your offspring will be as numerous as stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore, and your offspring. Through Isaac, this child of promise, and this other child of promise that's to come, all the nations on earth will be blessed. So while Abraham has struggled in faith many times at this moment where I gotta say, I feel like I would be going, God, could you explain this a bit further? Abraham, it says, rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey and two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and went to the place which God had told him. Verse four, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Now, can you imagine they're walking three days? And we look at this and we think about what an amazing step of faith. But on this journey, Abraham actually took thousands of steps of faith. It's every step a thought of obedience. There is no smartphone to distract him. There is no cable news or social media. There is no football to watch and there aren't shops along the way. He's walking with two servants and his son and wood and a fire and a knife. And every step, a step of belief, a step of obedience. And then verse five says, Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Spoiler alert again. You listen to the faith. They're walking, there is no offering. I and the boy are going to come to you. We're gonna go over there and worship. And by the way, this is the first time in scripture the word worship is used. 
This is the first time in scripture the word worship is used. There are altars built. There's a time where Abraham falls on his face before the Lord and laughs, but this is the first time in all of scripture when Abraham is taking his son to put him on an altar, we'll later be told to present our bodies as living sacrifices. That's our spiritual service of worship. This is the first time worship is mentioned. I was, I was thinking about that this week, and I thought about a time, I was 25 years old, I'd just recently taken a job at a small Baptist church in Southeast Texas, and people were arguing over worship styles, They were fighting over worship styles. And when I say fighting, I mean, nobody ever hit anyone else, but there were a couple of nights I thought they might about the sorts of songs that we were singing, the style of music that was being played. And I I just thought, can you imagine, like when we think about worship and our preferences and different things like this, and Abraham says, we're gonna go worship. I'm taking my son as an offering before the Lord and I'm gonna believe God's gonna provide, but we're going to go worship. To worship is to lay down our very lives, to take our dreams, our hopes, the things and people most important to us and to say to the Lord, they're yours. This belongs to you. When indeed Psalm 24, one says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He established it upon the waters. He founded it upon the seas. From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory. And Abraham says, we are gonna go and worship and we will return to you again. And we know because we have the scripture that Abram or Abraham believed God. Hebrews eleven seventeen by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac, your offspring shall be named. God has promised him through Isaac. All the nations will be blessed. Does Isaac have any children at this time? No, it doesn't. Isaac's death would present a problem to the promise. Verse 19, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. He was taking him. He was trusting the Lord. And he was believing, as we will see in just a bit, that God will provide a lamb. But we know Abraham believed, no, God can raise the dead. God will accomplish his purpose. God will keep his promise and they're going to worship and they're going to come again. So this is the test and the test, of course, involves a question and the test involves an answer. So continue with me in Genesis 22, verse six. In verse six, Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son takes the wood for the burnt offering and he lays it on Isaac, his son. So a father is putting wood on the back of his son for a burnt offering. Now, a couple of hundred years before the birth of Jesus, this is amazing. There's a Hebrew rabbi and there's Hebrew pre-Christian, Hebrew midrash. This is before Christian writings there, before Christianity, a couple hundred years, but crucifixion existed. 
And so Midrash is these rabbinical commentary on the Old Testament. And a Hebrew rabbi wrote about this scene in Genesis 22, having seen crucifixions. He said it's almost like a father laying wood on the back of his son to carry a cross to die. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like that. It's foreshadowing what Jesus is going to do. So let's continue. Verse 7, and Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. Behold the fire and the wood, but where, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? Now, this is a question Isaac could have responded to in lots of ways when Abraham answers, because at this point, according to commentators, Isaac is somewhere between 15 and 37 years old. So you take middle, middle of that, he's about 26. But somewhere between 15 and 37 years old, and Abraham is somewhere between 115 and 137 years old. So if Isaac gets an answer he doesn't want, he can blaze, just be out of there. Or he can, he can probably, probably just take his dad down. I don't like this answer. But we're going to see Isaac doesn't do that. We see the faith of Abraham, but we also begin to see the faith of Isaac in this chapter. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. Now this is this moment we hear, God will provide a lamb for a burnt offering, and it's going to happen on Mount Moriah. And so if we fast forward hundreds of years, the, the Temple Mount is where people would bring a lamb every year for an offering. They would take the best, the without blemish, the spotless lamb, they would bring it for an offering before the Lord. And this was occurring not one year or 10 year or 50 year, but over hundreds and hundreds of years. This is repeated and repeated and repeated. And then one day, far, far in the future, John the Baptist is baptizing in the wilderness and this man Jesus that people are starting to hear about walks up and, and John says, look, Look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's the Lamb that will be sacrificed. As Abraham says, God will provide the Lamb. We look back and go, man, you have no idea. God indeed will provide the Lamb, and it's going to be the offspring of Abraham through whom the nations are blessed. Isaac's going to live and have progeny. Jacob's going to live and have progeny. Jesus is going to die and have progeny from all nations. From all nations. And I was reading this week, it's really amazing that this promise comes to the nations. That's how God has worked. It's a man from Ur who teaches us about the promise of God. It's a man from us, Job, who teaches us about suffering. It's a man from Africa who teaches us about the law. It's a woman from Moab who teaches us about trust and a man from Tarsus who teaches us truth. God uses people from all nations to bring his word. See, there's the question, and Abraham says, God will provide the lamb. 
So when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. You guys are dismissed, we're done. No, no. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son for me. Do not lay a hand on the boy. And then God says this interesting phrase, now I know which would be fine for a man to say, but is a little bit peculiar for God to say. I mean, did did God not know before? Because we're we're told he's the God who knows. And so when you look at a a verse like this, you gotta answer, what in the world does this mean? Are there things that God doesn't know? I mean, C.S. Lewis said anybody who believes there's a God believes he knows what he's gonna do today and tomorrow and the next day. So either God actually didn't know what was going to happen, that's one possibility, some would argue for, or God knows exactly what's gonna happen and Abraham didn't know. And he finds out that he's passing the test. Because see, in Genesis chapter 15, God tells Abraham, you wanna know what's gonna happen, you're gonna have children, but after three generations, they're gonna go and be enslaved in Egypt for 400 years and then they're gonna return and after the third generation, I'll give them this land. It seems like God has known what's gonna happen. Seems like it, but Abraham, Abraham now, he knows. Now he knows and then verse 13, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. He lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, there's a ram caught in the thicket. We were talking about this in, in staff this week and someone said, you need, to, you need to look at that phrase, look up, or he looked up, or he lifted up his eyes. And if you, you wanna do some research this week, it's really amazing in the Old Testament when you see, and he looked up, and he looked up, there might be a burning bush there. He looked up and saw this. When somebody looks up, they're looking to see the person and work of God acting. One of my favorite moments of this in scripture, Psalm 121, where, where the psalmist writes and the children of Israel would sing, I lift my eyes to the hills. I look up to the hills from where my help comes. It comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and behold, there was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. He offered it instead of his son. (laughs) So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh, to this day it said, on the mount of the Lord it will be provided. See, throughout Abraham's story, he's come to know and we've come to know these things about God. 
In Genesis 13, we see that he is the God who knows. In Genesis 14, we see he's God most high. In Genesis 16, 3, he's the God who sees. In Genesis 17, 1, he's God Almighty. In Genesis 21, 33, he's the everlasting God. And now Abraham, who's wanted to know, he sees him as the God who provides. And here's what's beautiful about this story. Early on in the story, Abraham would ask these questions and he wanted to know what was happening. What's going to happen, Lord? And we talked about this reality that you've got to believe sometimes before you know, that God will absolutely call you to believe and trust him before you know the outcome. And see, Abraham wants to know what's going to happen, but in the story we find out he gets to know God. He wants to know what's going to happen, but he gets to know God. Hebrews even says, and he was called the friend of God. See, this is eternal life, Jesus said, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus whom you've sent. And knowing God is so much better than knowing what's going to happen. See, we don't know the outcome of our lives, but we know the one who holds that outcome. We know God through Jesus Christ. Abraham gets to know God and he gets to know God as provider in a way he could have never imagined. That is the provision. There are these words that the scripture uses and sometimes we use in theologies. We talk about God and I realized at 45 in a few months, these two related words. Now I'm gonna say them out loud to you and you're gonna think, oh, you just now realize that? It's really, really simple. Um, but I'm, as some of you know, I'm from Deweyville, Texas, and we are really, really simple. So the two words are this. They're provide and then the word providence. And it just never occurred to me that those two things are connected. This word that we use, providence, that's God's gracious action in the lives of his people and throughout history. Providence, all you do is just add this NCE to provide. It is NCE, not NSE, right? Um, it, that's providence. And, and it's, it's beautiful, these things that God is doing that we never even realize because in, I really don't think Abraham and Isaac are walking up the mountain and the Lord goes, oh, wait, hold on. I need a poof, a thorn bush. Oh, let me drop a ram there as well. See, what, what happened is somewhere between six and year, six and 12 years before this occurrence, a little lamb was born in the vicinity of what would become Jerusalem. And that little lamb grew. And it walked around these mountains, not really knowing where it was going. And its horns got bigger over the years, big enough to maybe be caught in a thorn bush. And then a a seed fell from another thorn bush years and years before in a dry and rocky land where lots of seeds just die. The soil's not great. But this seed got watered and, and it sprouted and it started to grow and it became a thorn bush, a strong enough thorn bush that would hold a ram at just the right spot and at just the right moment. And see, Abraham sees God provide. And we look back and we see God's providence in his story. 
But sometimes it's hard to see God's providence in our own stories. But it's there. He's working. And things that you wonder about and things that you worry about and things that are keeping you up at night, he's there, he's with you. And I gotta trust that he's with me and those things I worry about, those things that keep me up at night. Now my wife's rolling her eyes as I say that because when I lay down, I just go to sleep. But I wake up in the middle of the night. There are things that do keep me up at night. See, the everlasting God pours out providence and provides for Abraham. And so Abraham then is reminded of the promise again. The angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I've sworn, in verse 16, by myself I've sworn, declares the Lord. He's, he's made a promise by himself. You've heard people say, I swear to God. God's saying, I swear to me. By myself I have sworn because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned with his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived at Beersheba. See, God reiterates the promise and it's a promise for Abraham, but it's a promise not just for his son Isaac, but for all the children of Abraham. And what we see in this promise is that God is the promise keeper. God is the purpose accomplisher. And if we could just remember as we've seen this throughout Genesis, in Genesis 12 too, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Genesis 15:1. after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O Lord God, I'm childless, and the heir of my house will be Eliezer of Damascus. You've given me no offspring. Verse four, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. Verse five, and he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven, number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said, so shall your offspring be. Genesis 17, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Abraham fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but you'll be called Abraham for I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. Then verse 16 of Genesis 17, we're told of Sarah, I will bless her moreover, I will give you a son by her, I will bless her and she shall become nations, kings of people shall come from her. 
Verse 19 of Genesis 17, God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Chapter 18, verse 18, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations on the earth shall be blessed in him. And then we hear it again. In Genesis 22, but God's not done declaring the promise. See, in Genesis 26, verse four, Isaac is told, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And then to Jacob in Genesis 28, 14, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, the north and the south and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Oh, we're right, we get it, Chase. God's gonna bless the nations through Abraham. But it's not just in Abraham's story. See, that 400 years happens as God told him to the children of Israel and they go in and when they're being delivered out, God says to Pharaoh through Moses, I've raised you up, Pharaoh, for this very purpose that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. My salvation's going to reach all the nations through this people, Israel. David, when he's about to kill Goliath, he says, God will deliver you into my hands so that all Israel and the world may know there's a God in Israel. In the book of Daniel, both the Hebrew children and Daniel, as they're rescued, as they're rescued from evil plots, at the end of each chapter, it says that this has occurred and may all peoples in fear the God of Daniel and the God of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. In Isaiah 46.9, the servant of God is described as one who it says it's too small a thing for him to restore the broken ones of Israel. He's going to be a light to the nations that God's salvation might reach the ends of the earth. The promise to Abraham is coming to the nations. See, here's the truth of Genesis chapter 22. God provided a substitute who died in the place of all the children of Abraham. See, the the beautiful sacrifice in this story is is not a ram that's caught in thorns, but it's centuries later, this king who puts on a crown of thorns, who died in your place and in my place. He died as our substitute so that we could be the offspring of Abraham. Galatians 3 describes it this way. Verse seven, no, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, and you shall all the nations be blessed. Here's the good news, Abraham. All the nations are gonna be blessed through you. Well, that gospel is that Jesus, this is of first importance, he died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and on the third day he rose from the dead according to the scriptures so that all who believe might have life in him. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith, Galatians 3.14, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And if you are Christ, verse 29, 
then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So how this promise works in us is that when we put our hope, like Isaac said of his son, I'm laying him in your hands, God. We say all my life, all my dreams, all my hopes, and all my sins, I put them in your hands. God, I want you to forgive me. I want to be yours because God, God sent his son to take wood for an offering on his back and he was our substitute as he hung on a cross for us. My, my wife and I watched an, another movie recently. This, this wasn't a Star Wars movie, it was a, it was a murder mystery. It's called Knives Out. Um, language a little rough in it. Um, I'll, I'll forewarn you, but a, a fun movie, a good movie. And, and I, I gotta be honest, I'm really glad nobody ruined the ending for me, right? That would have been terrible. Who would do that? Great, fun, murder, mystery. And we walked out thinking back on the story and all the things that we could see, but I, I, gotta, I gotta be real honest. I'm, I'm grateful that we know the end of this story. I'm grateful we know the end of this story so that even as we take the bread and drink the cup, we remember the Lord Jesus and we proclaim his death until he comes. And he's coming. The God who provided a way of salvation is going to provide a way home. He is going to set all things right because he is in fact the God who will accomplish his purpose and he is the God who keeps his promise. God, we thank you that all of your promises for us are yes in Christ Jesus. God, we thank you through faith, through putting our trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. We can receive this promise of life, this good news that the nations are going to be blessed. God, that you sent that all the way to us and we rejoice in it and God, we pray as children of Abraham through faith in Christ Jesus, Father, that we would put our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God and that this would be our spiritual service of worship for your glory and for our joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you're dismissed.